We are doing a soup and fruit juice, which is kind of not a fast, but it is. It's a great, it's a great introduction. So we will do a water one in February. February, all the churches that we work with around the world will be fasting the same weekend. So we'll start in Cambodia and we'll end here on the west coast. Probably Ventura is the most west. And uh, it will just roll as new churches, communities wake up. They will join and uh, we will kind of roll our way through. So those of you who are in this belatedly, no problem. You can join in Friday night. We will be Friday morning. You can pray with me at the back bay. And then Friday night at Rock Harbor, Todd very kindly facilitated that, and so on. Um, so that's just the one thing I want to say. It's a good thing to prepare yourself. It can be a little bit of a shock to your system, even soup and fruit juice, but um, that's fine. We've done lots of those, and we will do many into the future for sure. Secondly, why are we fasting? Well, very simply... Um, I think there are three components to it. I think one, we really do want to deepen our walk with the Lord and encounter Him in a remarkable way. You know, and those of you who are newer to the community don't, that for me, I'm incredibly unhappy if we fulfill the liturgical obligations we have. Namely, we scripted the evening, that's what's going to happen in an hour and a half, and we go home and that's what's happened in an hour and a half, and we could have done it without the Holy Spirit. And I just find no joy in that. When I go home after this or any time we are together, it will be many times this coming weekend, I want to know that we've encountered God. I want to know that there's a, a kind of a, a divine interruption that's happened. And uh, I'm eager for it. I'm hungry for it. I have many times and will many times in the future not even open the scriptures or teach because God is doing something amongst us. So if that's a little new to you, welcome to our world, Wayne's world, and uh, it, it is the way we roll. Third thing I want to say quickly, I said two, but hey, I lie. Everything I do is in threes. We have a number of people who are ill. Merylless. Stu is, he's on his second antibiotics. Leander has been sick for three weeks. Hannah is, Chloe is. Uh, who else? I'm sick. You're sick? <laughs> Jonathan, thank you so much for spreading the love. Thank you. <laughs> you know, at least experientially, our prayer for the sick over the years comes and goes like a tide. Uh, Meryl and I have been through about five major moves of God, and they're extraordinary and amazing, and they surprise me over and over again. But... The point to this story is we need to let the tide come in, read the scriptures, pray the prayers. We've seen cancers healed. We've seen ears opened. We haven't seen the blind um, open, eyes open. We have one of our friends prayed for a dead person literally in a hospital on the gurney going down to the uh, basement when he sat up. Medically, his certificate was dead. So we have seen some things happen, but the longing of my heart is more and more. I was just talking to the Lord about it this morning, saying, Lord, please let there be an ink, not for the sake of coolness, not for the sake of, wow, isn't that amazing, but to touch people's lives, to see those who are hurting with cancer. We have a number of them in the church right now. 
And so, um, those who can't have babies, those who um, are struggling with issues, organ issues like mine, I've got a heart issue. Just God, come and move amongst us and let us see healing happen in a wonderfully unique way. Does that make sense? All right. The scripture tonight. Tonight we're talking about an invitation to spiritual discipline, listening. Caitlin, come and read our passage, please. Um, yeah, I don't know which one they want you to use. Yes, you may. Just once. This is the only NIV I had, and it's the biggest Bible I've ever seen. My name is Katen. It's an honor to be able to read with you guys. I'll give you guys a second to find it if you have your Bible. Jeremiah 1, 4 through 12. You just get five seconds. All right. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you, and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see a branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, You have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Beautiful. Thank you, Kate. And has anyone seen my glasses, or did you take them as well? All right. You know, I have really loved sitting on this, uh, certainly this week, but, but for a few weeks now. That was the passage. When I was 19 years old, I'd failed my first year at college because for reasons non-academic. And I remember lying on my bed in my parents' home. My mother was a very religious woman, and I used that word intentionally. And there was always a Bible next to my bed. So I lay there, and I literally said, God, if you're real, I need you to speak to me. And, uh, and I, I opened my Bible, as I'm doing now, and Jeremiah 1 appeared. I was nine, 18 and a half. And uh, God took me to that passage, and it was as if he was speaking directly to me. And uh, it was a transforming moment. In fact, it's a moment I've gone back to over and over again, no matter which stage of my life. So it's 45 years now that I've read that over and over again as if it were a letter written to me. But it was in that moment that God said, Son, I put you in your mother's womb. Your mother. I didn't put you in someone else's. I put you in your mother's womb. And that is okay. And I formed you. 
I, I, I formed you exactly how you need to be to fulfill the mandate on my life. The, the idea that I needed something else besides anointing and authority, but some other human something is just a lie out of the pit because God has wrapped into the DNA called Chris Vinod everything I need to do the things he has assigned me to because he put them into me in my mother's womb. It's, it's a, it's a mind-blowing possibility that not only did God choose the woman I was to be incubated in, I, the, the home and the space I was to be shaped by. But this body, this body has everything I need to fulfill the purposes of God in and through my life. And then, of course, the whole exquisite passage of don't say you're too young. And I'm curious. I said, what do you mean? Everywhere I send you, you shall go. I never went anywhere. And all that I command you, you shall speak. I didn't know what to say. To uproot, to tear down, to destroy, and to overthrow, to build, and to plant. My story, and I'm saying it by way of exhortation, dear friends, is written in there. When I'm uncertain about anything that's happening in my life, I go back there and I say, Lord, this is your roadmap for my life because it lands in what do you see, Jeremiah? What do you see? And so when I sit with most of you, I haven't sat with everyone, I see. I don't know why we'll sit at Kit or Whip or at... Eastbourne or Eastborough, I never, never remember which it is. And then I see. What do you see, Jeremiah? One of the things I love about our faith, this Christian faith, as opposed to other traditional religions, is the fact that God is infinite, personal, and He speaks. Francis Schaeffer, who fashioned me as a youngster, wrote this in a book. In fact, I brought it here just to show you my old weathered version. I think I brought it. Here it is. 1977, I bought this. He is there and he's not silent. Little book. Transformative, however. He is there. The infinite personal God who speaks. And he said this. The strength of the Christian system... The acid test to it is that everything fits under the apex of the existent, infinite, personal God. It's the only system in the world where this is true. No other system has an apex under which everything fits. That is why I'm a Christian and no longer an agnostic. Because everything fits under the apex of the fact that God is existent, infinite, and personal. Thank you, Dana. You could be my daughter. And so I just quickly, we, we're going to rush because as we've said through the whole series, we really are just scratching the surface of all of these things. But I want to invite you into a, an ever deeper sense of listening, posturing yourself to hear God speak, let's go and put on your seatbelt. Scripture.
Scripture is still the most powerful way through which God speaks. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Two things I want to say. One is objective, that the Scripture is always true everywhere. It is our moral compass. Without that, without the apex of the divine, and without the substance of the Scripture, we have no morality. Everything goes, which we're seeing in our nation right now. Everything goes. I was reading an article of uh, sex with animals. The conference wants, this is the last human taboo. Everything goes. The moment scripture and the apex of the divine gets taken from the public square. And so scripture is the very foundation around which we hold everything. It is the matrix of all things. Now personal. In the 60s and 70s, the charismatic renewal gave us the gift of the Lord told me. Once again, the church discovered the wonder and mystery that God actually speaks to me. Alistair McGrath, the Oxford uh, professor, apologist, author, speaks about Christianity's dangerous idea. It is very dangerous that every one of us has the potential to hear God for ourselves. And God is not apologetic about that reality. However, that little phrase has been most keenly abused. The Lord has told me. Because when I say the Lord has told me, you have no right to challenge or check or change me. Do you like the alliteration, Tyler? You got it? You write it down? Challenge, check, or change. All right, just thought I'd remind you. See, when I say the Lord has told me, but the problem is when I take scripture out of the Lord has told me, what happens is anything goes. The Lord has told me, says a man, a businessman, to divorce my wife and marry my secretary. Is that possible that God would do that? Of course not. Because God will never breach his moral code as recorded in the scriptures. Every word from the Lord is submitted in underneath there. I don't understand it, to be honest, as a pastor, how people change churches with such regularity because the Lord told me. That's bizarre. Because the Bible says we are a family. I don't change my family. My kids don't change their family. Well, I'm the Helen with dad. So you know what? I'm changing my family. The Lord has told me. One of Tion's best friends lives in Orange Park Acres down in, in uh, just next to Villa Park. Beautiful house, big house, on an estate, barn, swimming pool, spa, tennis courts, always huge action. Apartment above the garages. I think more than a few times he wanted to get a word from the Lord to join the Funabut family. You know what I'm saying? And I wouldn't blame him. And it was at a time when Meryl and I were homeless. We were living in a little apartment. Someone kindly made available to us. We were in the dark night of the soul. Who would have blamed him if the Lord told him to go to another family? Except God wouldn't. Now, that doesn't mean we can never leave. You and I know that. There are clear biblical injunctions to move on on divine assignment. We certainly also move on when leaders are manipulative and, and, and offer um, kind of... Uh, yeah, manipulation, there was another word I was going to use. Spiritual abuse. Of course, of course, of course. I'm not writing everything out. But what I want us to understand, dear friends, there is such power and wonder. Treat this 
beautifully, treated gently, treated honestly, humbly, open for God to speak to us at any moment in time as he did back then. But remember, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that we see through the mists dimly. Some of you know the story, the 1990 Meryl and I went to Hong Kong. We met, I have to give the very abridged story. First time we are in Asia and in Hong Kong. And so we are just gobsmacked. These little African kids standing in front of, at that stage, a six million person, um, endless skyscraper building. Endless. And um, we meet Anita Singh, long story I cannot tell you. And while we are driving with her to a restaurant, she's obviously local, a part of the island where Caucasians don't go. She says to Meryl, what does Chris do? And Meryl tries to explain using missional language, nothing is working. Until we get to the restaurant, they get out the car, and Meryl says, Anita, do you know Jesus? And she thinks for a while, and she says, nope, he doesn't live around here. First time in our lives we met someone with no Jesus frame of reference. Nita, do you know church? No, no. What's that? Do you know pastors? No. no. Now, she's an educated woman. She's got her own company. She is really wealthy, but never, ever encountered Christ. And so in that space, the Spirit of God says to Mary you will spend the rest of your days abroad. What do we do? We finish the prophecy. So we go home, we gather our families together. Guys, we're moving to Hong Kong, we're going to plant a church. Did God say that? No, absolutely not. We see through the mirror dimly. Six years later, many changes, many reorientations. I think it was God's sense of humor. We land up here. And I had said I'd never live in America. For no reason than the gospel's been here. I wanted to do Asia, the Pacific Rim, with the billions of people who don't know the name of Jesus. And God says, I've got the right place for you. It's called East San Gabriel Valley. And I spent 14 years of darkness there. We cannot presume to finish the prophetic words. Number two. You with me? With all due love and care. Jesus is the word of God. I won't. Oh yeah. How many of you have heard of Sadhu Sunda Singh? Sadhu Sunda Singh. He was uh, a, a sadhu. A, a religious man in India from about 1899. And no one knows when he died. When he was a teenager his mom died. And he was so angry at the gods, at the Hindu gods, that he thought the way he would appease them was to burn Bibles. So he went to every Christian missionary he could find, grabbed the Bible and burned them, but nothing satisfied his soul. So one night, he's in his late teens, one night he goes into his bedroom and he decides for three days, I'm waiting here for God to speak. If God doesn't speak, he doesn't exist. And if he doesn't exist, then there's no reason why I should live. And there is a train coming through on its way to Delhi at 5 o'clock in the morning. And if on the third morning God has not met with me, I will go and lie on the tracks and the train will kill me. Well, that's the only outworking. If there's no God, there is no meaning. If there's no meaning, why live? About a half an hour before the train was due, Jesus came into the room. I remember he's a Hindu thing. He is a, a sadhu. He is a religious man. And Jesus says to him, why do you persecute me? 
No one told him it was Jesus. He didn't talk to hey, I'm Jesus. That's what he said to him in that room. And he spent the rest of his life. It's a most remarkable story. It's a little book like this, well worth reading. They don't know where he died. But they have pictures of him praying where leopards, tigers, come out of the forest and come and sit next to him like a cat while he prays and the presence of God comes all over him. Jesus, as our good shepherd, speaks to us. And he speaks to us through many and various wonderful ways. Would I love him to appear to me? I think so. I can only say I think so. Because I'm sure like the, 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 the leaders of old, it would be terrifying at the same time. All right, number three is audible. It's the text. It's Jesus. It's the audible. Remember, we're scratching the surface here. This is a remarkable idea of which... Paul or Saul on his way to Damascus, for those of you who don't know, he is one of the persecutors of the church. He is steaming to get to Damascus to kill some Christians, and uh, he encounters God. Now, my imagination sees a story that I'm sure never quite happened the same. I see God standing in front of him, his horse coming to a, 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 a kind of a reigning halt. Well, he wasn't on a horse, uh, but it's a great story to tell. He falls in his face and Jesus says to him I am Jesus whom you have persecuted now get up and go to the city God speaks audibly dear friends I had a leader in our first church her name is Debbie Jones Debbie was the regional manager for Aramis the Estee Laura, uh, Lauder perfume range and she was in Port Elizabeth at a sales conference in a hotel. Beautiful, beautiful woman. Loves the Lord so passionately. Always elegant. Always together. Nails, hair. But not in bondage. She just was this beautiful woman. Sidebar notes. Her and her husband, who was an accountant, planted a church in uh, Francistown, Botswana. And I flew up to go and visit with him. Now here's this woman who has sold French fragrances. And we are walking through a squatter settlement of trash and garbage and she is elegant and perfectly put together tears running down her face as we go from one hut to the next and she introduces us me to her congregation this is um, um, mama whatever her name was and there we sit in this hut with no with no lights just this this and, and here is this elegant woman so proud of her little community. But she's in the hotel room back to Port Elizabeth and crying out to God on behalf of her family who were not walking with him. Her husband was, her siblings and parents weren't. And she said, Chris, it was a remarkable moment because God began to speak to me audibly. And she said, I wrote down everything he said. And part of it was the comfort, Debbie, don't worry. I have your family. I will bring them to myself. I think Debbie in her purity, she's still alive. I saw her when I was in South Africa recently. I think in her purity, there was a fervent longing for God to speak audibly. If you speak audibly, God, could you speak audibly to me? There was a hunger and a posturing, not down in the pub having drinks with people, sitting in her room crying out to God, God, would you meet with me? And he did. There is an audible 
experience that God offers up. Fourthly, the inner voice. That's when God speaks into our inner soul, the spirit of truth. Are you still with me? Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. It's a tricky thing because I don't know if it's God. I, I kind of have this inner thing and, and, and is this God or is it my desire or is it, is it you know, something someone else has said? And I'm rushing, so please forgive me my haste. And I'm telling you stories from my life. Hopefully that's helpful. But in 2010, um, June of that year, we were still leading Southlands up in Brea. We'd just come through the lawsuits. We'd just got the building, which looks like Rock Harbor. Did it out beautifully. We were just ready for this new chapter. And I'm praying one day, and the Spirit of God says to me, I want my bride back. Now, for those of you who haven't heard the story, I think most have not. When we took over the church, the leadership of the church, took over sounds horrible, the leadership of the church, what happened was God gave me a picture of a seven-year-old little girl who had been sexually abused and molested. And he said to me, I want you to heal her and walk her down the aisle one day. And so that, and I love my girls. I love Dana Nash. So looking forward to seeing her. Love my girls. It made so much sense that God cared so much for his girls. The only problem was when he said, I want her. And I fought with God. The only time in my life I know I fought with him. I said, God, I'm sure I haven't heard you. This inner audible voice is definitely not you. I'm tired. I need a vacation. Uh, maybe a nice glass of red wine and a steak on the fire, and that word will disappear. But it persisted. So I did what is helpful. I called three friends, and I said, Rory, Nick, um, Jonathan. I said, picked up the phone. You know, we, we kind of banter. Hey, what's up? You know, and I said, no, 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 none of that now. I have a question for you. What is God saying? What is God saying to me? What is God saying to me now? And all three of them said this, and these are the exact words. God wants you to hand over the church. God wants you to hand it over to Alan, and God wants you to do it right now. That inaudible voice in submitting it to those I love and trust around me. I hated that. I had to go back and, and, and I had to say, babe, we're handing over the church. And she said, babe, please not. Please don't do it. I said, but God has spoken. And three people whom I love and trust who care for me have affirmed that. When we are nervous about the inaudible voice of God, if we submit it to those we love and trust who've got their spiritual radars up, I would trust Wendy. If I feel like God has spoken to me about something I'm uncertain with, I would say, Wendy, I feel like God's spoken. What are you hearing? That's more of a guarantee of the inner voice that I know that it isn't my bias, preference, or my desire for self-mutilation. It is God who is speaking to me. Number five, quickly. The angels. The angels. Any of you seen an angel just out of interest? Thank you. One. Anyone else? Wendy, two. I knew that. You got, oh, Delaney has snuck into the, no, it's not Delaney, I thought she'd snuck into the house. Four people have seen angels. Now we know the story of the angels appearing to Philip on the, 
in, in Samaritan when there is this, this kind of great revival taking place and he goes and meets the Ethiopian eunuch. Folks, I do believe if our hearts are open, we will see angels. Why? Because I think God wants us to get a vista of the transcendent eternal. Remember when the, when the prophet's uh, servant can't believe it. They're surrounded by this army and he is pottering away, the prophet is, and, and, but his servant is freaking out. We, we are going to be beaten. We surround them on every side. We're going down. And I can see it, forgive my imagination, almost rolling his eyes, the prophet does. He says, oh God, please open his eyes. Let him see. And he sees this angelic army on standby. Sometimes God wants to remind us that we are not on our own down here. There is an angelic host that's worshipping with us, an angelic host that is fighting with us. Even when the enemy comes in like a flood, the battle doesn't belong to us. The battle belongs to the Lord, the prophet says. And so it's really helpful in the darkness of the lawsuit days. One of our leaders came to me after I preached one Sunday morning and he said, did you see them? I said, well, I see whom? And he said, the angels. And I said, no, I didn't. I said, Ed, why didn't you tell me? Look, because either side of me, were two angels protecting me while I was preaching. Angels remind us of the transcendent partnership that we have with God and the eternal and the invisible is real and true. Moving on. Visions and dreams. Um... What can I say about that? What do you see, Jeremiah? Just out of interest, how many of you dream dreams? And you know they're prophetic. Okay? Oh, good. Okay? Keep a little notebook next to you when you sleep. Record them even if it seems crazy, like a, like a purple butterfly, and there's like this, it's, it's, it's on a stem of raging red, and, and the pool is all purpley. doesn't matter. Write that because what happens is it begins to fit together like a puzzle. This piece with that piece with this piece with that piece. And pretty soon a picture begins to emerge. And you'll be amazed what God says while you sleep, while I sleep, because of that. All right, again, I'm so sad I have to move on quickly. Number seven, prophecy. Probably one of the most beautiful pictures of collaboration is in Acts 13, where the prophets and teachers met together. One of my favorite passages. It said, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, which means the black Simon, the black man, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who was been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. The idea was that Manian and Herod grew up together. So here you have Barnabas, who was the son of encouragement. Here you have Simeon with a Jewish name, probably from Africa, probably a black man. Lucius of Cyrene, a man of some means. Manian, who was brought up with Herod, Herod grew up in privilege. And saw. And it said, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, dear friends, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, prophecy is in part, it always is. But it's one of the ways that God speaks to us. I desire with others that prophecy percolates in our community, not in a pseudo kind of charismatic Pentecostal way that's full of oohs and ahs and shaking things. But just in the quiet humility of God wanting to speak to us. Again, a little story which are hopefully helpful. Landed in the East San Gabriel Valley in 96. Not at all happy. 
here under duress. Nothing that is going on there is in this community is resonating with me. I am super uncomfortable. God, you've got the wrong guy. I'm in the wrong church with the wrong people. I don't know if I'm going to help them. A leader, this beautiful secretary, comes to me with a file this big, and they're full of prophecies that have been recorded for about 27 years. So I thought, well, I better read them. Some personal, some communal. Every single communal one. And from this church, churches will be planted. And from this church, churches will be planted. And from this church, different times, different prophets. So I called the team and I said, how many churches in 27 years have been planted? They said one. I said, okay, now it makes sense. This is about to change. In 14 years, we planted 12 churches. Not because we were amazing, but because God had spoken. That's what that church is there for. To identify and raise up leaders and then plant them out. Seed the nations. And we did. All sorts of places. Great story. Moving on quickly. Number eight. So far the text. Jesus, the audible, the inaudible. The angels, visions and dreams. Forgive the brevity. Prophecy, community. Acts 15. There is a great... Can you give me five minutes? And I'm hope, hopefully I'll land it quickly. There's a beautiful passage where the apostles, the elders, and the whole church are meeting together. And then verse 28, it said, It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. All that I want to say is trust the community and the leaders in the community to hold reverently and sacredly the message that God has spoken to you. It really is a beautiful thing that we're not on our own. We're so vulnerable to making mistakes, uncertainties, exaggerations, extravagances. But what a joy it is, dear friends, when we bring kindly the things that he has spoken and we say it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. When uh, Kent Eric and Shannon, who will be back who were leaders in the community, almost here from day one, came to see me. He had been unbelievably unwell. And uh, they just said, Chris, we can't stay here anymore. Orange County is eating us up. We want to move to Boise, Idaho. Did God say it? No. Was their health screaming at them? Yes. And I sat with them and prayed with them over a number of sessions. And we just said, you know what? It seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. No other, no other way. Nothing more substantive than that. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. There is great power in us discerning and finding the voice of God together. Okay. Quickly, quickly, quickly. Do the behind if you're taking notes. Uh, Isaiah 30 says, your ears will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way walking in it, whether you turn to the right or to the left. This is one of my favorite ones. Because God entrusts us with the ability to make decisions. And 9 and 10 kind of overlap a little bit. One of my life's mantras is do unless God says don't. Do unless God says don't. God can stop me. God can prevent me. God can correct me. But I will not suffer from the paralysis of analysis. Should I, shouldn't I? Think, think, think. Write down pros, cons. That doesn't work. Um, him, her, that doesn't work. Money. I, none of that works. Just do it. 
Remember the prophet came to David. David said, I want to build a temple. And he said, do it, man. The favor of God is on you. Do it. That night, God comes to the prophet and says, no, 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 no. David can't build the temple. There's blood on his hands. He goes back to David. He says, no, you can't. There's blood on your hands. God says, your son Solomon will. You see how good God is? My ear will hear a word behind me. Say, this is the way walk ye in it. 19 at... Remember it was 52. How many years ago was that? 10 years ago. Easter service, Redemption Church. Dana's leading worship. I'm not teaching anywhere, so we go there. And uh, Meryl calls me over. There are two people she's talking to. Two Aussies, failed church planters. We instantly resonate. They're Aussies. We're South African. They failed. We did not. But that's not what I'm talking about. And so Meryl says to me with her eyes big and bright, she says, Chris, she says, meet and I won't mention the names because I've got them. Um, and she said, meet them. So I said, okay, hi, nice to meet you. She said, well, that we failed church planters. They tell us with great enthusiasm. But we've become marriage and family therapists. And we think your wife should become a marriage and family therapist. Now, Meryl had never in her wildlife thought she was going to study again. 52 years old, who goes to study when you haven't studied for 30 years? Everything's on a computer. And we haven't, we don't know our way around that with all the professional grades and everything. And uh, so I said, he says, come. Tomorrow, come and meet the faculty at Hope. So Mary looks at me, I said, do unless God says don't. Is God saying no? Let's do it. So we go around and we meet all the faculty and we sit down in the final office and they say, Meryl, we would like you to come and join the program. Meryl looks at me, I said, do unless God says don't. Until you sit down for your first lecture and I write the first check, God can say no. About a week later, she was in the lectures for the first time. And stark fear grabbed her. What on earth am I doing? See, God knew he couldn't give Meryl an out. Or she would have taken it. Do, unless God says don't. God can stop you at any time, and he does. Lastly, with that, this is my second favorite. One Samuel fourteen six through ten. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, "Come, the situation is they're hiding away. The Philistines have taken away all the weapons. Saul has got a sword. Jonathan has got a sword. His son, and they cowering away up on the cliffs is a Philistine outpost. They have been beaten up. They're on the run. Nothing is going in their favor. His armor bearer is standing with him. He has no weapon." And so, um, basically, the armor bearer says, Jonathan, what are we going to do? And Jonathan says this, not that Jonathan, this one. He says this, come, let us go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder God from saving, whether by many or by few. Dear friends. You know what I love about God? Think about a two-year-old toddler. You say, no, 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 don't touch, don't touch. Put that down. Don't play with that now. At 16, you don't say, no, 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 don't touch, put that down. At 16, you say, well, what do you think? Do you, should, do you think you should do it? By 22, you are definitely empowering them to make decisions. Sometimes as a dad, I kind of grip my teeth and, and I hold the chair and I, I shut up because it's not a good decision. But I trust them. 
And I trust God that even if it's a bad decision, God can turn all things together to the good. Are you with me? There is a perhaps the Lord. Perhaps the Lord will come on our behalf. Now, for some of you, by personality, that is traumatic. You are an introvert. You are a pessimist, or at least you are a realist, is what Meryl tells me. She's a realist. Not negative. She's a realist. Now, now all of that submits itself to perhaps the Lord. Jonathan grabs his sword. He pulls a trick out the hat, which I won't mention to you right now. And they overrun the outpost and victory is theirs. Dear friends, God loves you taking initiative. God loves you stepping out of the space, all in the charismatic colloquialism, getting out of the boat and walking on the water. There is such freedom. I don't have to hear God say yes to everything. Some things I can just do because perhaps the Lord will be with me. I'm going to Lebanon in April. Why? Because God's called us to the nations. Why Lebanon? I don't know. But God has been stirring Beirut in my heart for years. Perhaps the Lord will open a door. Perhaps the door will allow, Lord will allow us to minister in the region, that kind of armpit of the Mediterranean, where armies have raged through. There's a valley where evidence is present of every major, the Persians, the... Um, the Romans, every major army that has come through has left residue of them being there. It's been the pivotal point of the, the rage of civilizations. I want to go there. Perhaps the Lord will open the door. Worst comes to worst, I'll eat lots of really good Lebanese food. But better, better, God opens a door for us to minister into that part of the world that is so butchered and broken and civil war has destroyed it. Perhaps the Lord. Yeah. Now, I'm sorry we galloped. But I wanted to, and these aren't all of them, but I wanted to give you an overview. Dee, are you ready? I wanted to give you an overview, dear friends. Quickly, as quickly as I know how. Open your heart up to ways in which God hasn't spoken to you about in the past. Well, Chris, God always speaks to me through the scriptures, okay? But why don't you open your heart and say like Debbie, would you speak to me audibly? Or like Ed, there are angels either side of you. Or Meryl, God pushes you through the door because your reluctance would prevent him doing what he wants to do. That's my prayer as Dana leads us into an opening to Lent. Would you and I open our hearts up an invitation to the spiritual disciplines Do you need the table? Sorry? No. Oops. We are beginning our Advent season tonight together. Christmas falls on a Sunday. Um, and so, just as a warning, we're going to turn off the lights in a second. But as we do this, I'm going to read to you from two passages. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through Him, and apart from Him not one thing was created that has been created. 
In him was life, and that life was the light of men, and that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And that word, that very word that was from the beginning, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we observe his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Tonight we observe his glory. Tonight we observe his flesh and his blood, the one who came to us, the one who did not consider existing in the form of God something to be exploited, but instead he emptied himself. And by assuming the form of a servant, and taking on the likeness of humanity, he became a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it is for this reason that God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You can turn the lights off, Troy. As we begin this season, we remember Him. We remember His glory. We remember the God who became flesh, the God who came to us, body and blood not in eternity but in humanity he came tonight we partake of a God who is with us body and blood flesh and spirit we partake of you Jesus we remember that you chose to take on humanity, that you chose to meet us. We want to invite you this evening to take communion with that. Often we think of communion as the evidence of death and resurrection, and it is, but it is also the evidence of his body and blood. Not God, but man, that he chose to be like us, to be with us, to come and speak to us. And so we wanna invite you to take bread as a symbol of his body, and wine or juice as a symbol of his blood, the word that became flesh. We're going to go into a time of worship. There's a communion station here. There's one to my left and right. And as we worship, won't you go and take the bread and the wine? And you can do it with someone, you can do it with a community, or you can do it on your own. But let's recognize and remember the humanity, the flesh and blood of Jesus.